Hey, it's Demi and welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Crisis Podcast. This week, I chat with Darcy Keeley, who is the founder of Hairy Original, a clothing brand and creative movement that focuses on color, comfort and community, all while trying to give back to creatives. Darcy's story is one that's familiar to many of us as millennials and showcases the ups and downs of our 20s. It really do be bumpy out here. We discuss how he went from being kicked out of his studio apartment because he wasn't paying his bills, how he was expelled from university. He then moved on to a legitimate corporate job and soon realized that a prestigious job, stable income and grand title wasn't going to fulfill him. This chat is super candid and I know so many of you will relate and take inspiration from his story. In particular, if you're feeling stuck right now and need a little kick up the ass to get back to making time to do something you used to love but have recently lost. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. So let's jump straight into episode 58 of the podcast. The sooner you move past the shit, the sooner you become an overnight success. Hey, Darcy, thank you so much for joining me on the Millennial Crisis Podcast. I'm so excited to have you on today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to it all week. It's such a nice experience to sort of get to talk about it. So I've been like super excited telling everyone. So waiting for D-Day, which is now. (laughs) So I'm pumped up. I love that. I'm so excited you're excited too, because your story is very true to the whole millennial crisis, quote unquote, movement. So I think it's going to be awesome for people to hear another person who has seen the other end of taking three steps back in order to take five forward, right? Yeah, I know. It's been sort of turbulent the last decade, God forbid, saying that out loud. But um, I sort of feel like that chaotic nature has put me eventually on the right track, even though sometimes it was sort of hard to see the forest from the trees. So Mm. keen to get into it and unpack that a little bit more. Amazing. Well, I start off the podcast with the same three questions because I'm lazy and I like to get my guests to introduce themselves. So the questions that I have for you to kick things off are what is your name, age and what do you do or what are you known for? So my name is Darcy Keeley. I am just shy of 28 years old. I suppose I'm known for sort of being a creative type person, a bit of out of the box thinker I sort of daylight as a marketer and then what we're sort of here to talk about and what I sort of pride myself is my community and clothing line called Harry Originals which sort of produces some new handmade upcycle pieces and it's sort of about cultivating a community around that brand through podcasts written interviews on numb creatives and eventually hoping to move into the event space so that's sort of what I'm trying to hero myself for and then marketing pays the bills and keeps the lights on. I love that you, you've got a similar situation as me in, in that we're, we're both trying to cultivate community in, for different purposes and different reasons. Yours is very much bringing creative together and creating a space to support and inspire each other, right? It's, it's really a lot yeah. about what, what you're doing at Harry and uh, the fact that the reality is for a lot of creatives who are pursuing these things that this doesn't turn into your full-time job straight away by any means or if ever, right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, daydreamed about it becoming my full-time job within sort of that 12 weeks and you sort of have to get punched with like that reality hit after you click that go live button 
I honestly was thinking I was going to wake up with like 12,000 followers and sell out of everything. And then you kind of realize even if you had those numbers, like you would never be able to sort of scale or sustain at that pace. So I, you know, optimistically, I'd love for it to be my full-time job. Um, but right now I'm like pretty content with the satisfaction it's bringing me anyway. And sort of the, the purpose it's giving me in my time, particularly over the lockdown, it's been super refreshing. I feel quite lucky to have something to sort of spend my time on and fall back on and have something to think about. Otherwise, I, I don't know what I'd be doing with myself sort of over the last 18 months onwards. I imagine you're probably the same as well. Totally. And, and I, I'm the same in terms of like, yeah, if, if the, like whatever we're working towards when we have these creative ventures or these purpose-driven ventures that keep us going and you feel as though you're, you're putting your heart and soul into, into these things, you're more connected to the results versus when you're at your regular job, right? The interesting thing is that a lot of the time we, because of socials and stuff like that, we can have these assumptions that things are just going to happen and overnight these successes will happen. But like you mentioned before, the reality is even if it did increase and you suddenly had all of these orders and followers and all of that stuff, you actually can't sustain it, whether it's physically, whether it's capacity wise, whether it's actually the amount of clothing in your case that you can churn out at a time, it's it's impossible. And you're also going to make yourself sick if it gets to that level too, which I think definitely realize very quickly in this space. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, I sort of look at some other people and you sometimes, you know, whether you're jaded or not, or when you're sort of in that struggle, you look at someone else and think that they're this overnight success story. And then you sort of wonder like why it doesn't work for you. But then at the same time, you know, you might be five years down your journey and someone who's just started might look at you and think that they're the overnight success story. So sort of thinking like that sort of rocked my perspective in the last couple of months that someone else might think that you're doing it as well. So I think it's quite good to be open about your struggles and how hard it is. Like I'm, I'm pretty fond of saying that I don't like that fake it till you make it culture because it's fucking hard. And every step is like a struggle. And there's a lot of nights where you're just like arming and ahhing and want to like kick the sewing machine across the floor. And there's just like, you step on a pin and you scream and all of this is hard and all of it's like dog shit work, but you just do it for some reason. And you just want to do it. And even if you didn't want to do it, like I sometimes chat to this other friend who's a creative And he says, like, I wish I wasn't creative. I wish I could just go to work and then sit on the on the computer and watch Netflix after. And he always says to me, like, but you never could. Even if you packed up everything now and you put away Harry and put away your community piece, you just find something else to fucking do. Like you would just start getting into air fryer recipes or like you would just find something else to like indulge your time in. So it's sort of just about sticking to the plan a little bit, no matter the struggle. So I'm really trying to sort of share that with everyone now when I sort of realise it's a pretty powerful perspective, particularly for the younger people in that space. I I also think like you mentioned when you were speaking to your friend about having that creative um, concept and, and you, for some reason, you just do it. And I think everyone has that thing where for some reason you just do it. Like if anyone's ever been to a millennial cross event, they know the first thing I say to everyone is like, like, I don't want to be doing it this thing. Like this thing is way too big, (laughs) right? This thing has already gotten out of hand for me, but I do it because when you, like, I can't not like, once you see, a, a result or once you see like a person or once you see a connection or relationship built or for you maybe it's putting a stitch in or seeing your idea come to life or whatever it is you can and I think everyone has something in them that that thing is they it, it's just about like finding what it is and whether you want to make that thing your 
money-making thing. You want to make that thing your passion thing that doesn't, which is honestly, I think it's the best way to do it is to have something that you just do for fun and you don't have to worry about all the other shit because that's when it gets complicated, right? Yeah, definitely. That's when, yeah, you get filled with anxiety when you're clicking that purchase order button or I definitely think, yeah, just having something that's fulfilling no matter what it is um, and whatever way it comes out, whether it's just creating or enjoying or communicating, you got to find what it is. And you don't have to know what it is now, but eventually once you get it, try and sort of nurture that because that sort of is worth living for a little bit, particularly over like COVID where there's not these other sort of hedonistic pleasures that we used to be really guilty of doing. We just got to find something that really brings you some joy. 100%. 100%. In saying that, Harry, you started Harry, what, 12 months ago now? Yeah, just shy of 12 months ago. So it's sort, I sort of worked on it a little bit before that, but I would probably say it was like 12 months from the go live when I opened my website and sort of started sharing everything. Um, and it was a bit of a journey even sort of getting here. Like it sort of just started with, I was just doing these little funny drawings of sort of cities and blocks and just sort of using a handful of colours that I really, really liked. And then I thought, oh, I'm a bit sick of just drawing on paper or painting. So I picked up the um, the lino printing kit. I got like a little lino printing kit and I just started printing on fabric and I quite liked just how it felt. And I had like previously, which was sort of unpacked a little bit, had like some experience in textiles from a long time ago. And I sort of had to pack all that up at one point. And it sort of just like awoke something in me that I really, really liked. I don't know if it was just like doing those things again or seeing these materials again. And I thought, oh, it must be pretty easy then to just like translate that onto like T-shirts and have a go at doing this. It's like a lot simpler without all the old machines I used to have. Um, and yeah, I just started printing on. They all looked like dog shit at the start. Like I, I shared some photos the other day on TikTok and I couldn't believe like the quality it was. And I was like really chuffed with it, you know. I was like showing everyone in my housemates and it was like just like really shit, like dipped the little rubber thing in ink and printed on a T-shirt and was saying like, this looks great. And then, so I slowly started looking and I just have, I have a big problem with moderation where if I'm into something, I just like double down so hard. So, you know, I'm, I've, I've tried every instrument in the, in the, in the music room and haven't obviously been successful at any of them, but I started looking at like how much would it tell, like cost to print some shirts. And then that was sort of too expensive or too risky for like the sort of unit size. So I looked at just sort of some equipment that you could do it on your own slowly started accumulating all this equipment but this was all before Harry was what Harry was I didn't even have a name then I was just trying to like print things on fabric that was all I was trying to do just work out what's the best way to print on fabric and then eventually I sort of found a process that worked to me and I was starting to sort of make some garments again I'd been repurchasing sort of some old sewing machines um, some overlockers just playing with different materials and then this lovely girl I used to know just at the pub, you know, every Friday I would see her and she'd be a friend of her friends and she would often just sort of know those musos who were down at this pub. And I was just talking to her over a beer and she said, hey, I work at Canon and, you know, if you ever want a free shoot, um, come on down. And, you know, people always offer this over like a drink. It's sort of one of those things that you, I was like, yeah, yeah, all right, whatever. Like, sounds great. Had a bit of a think about it. And then we probably went into the, the steep lockdown last year and she just reached out out of the blue and said, hey, I've quit my job, but I got one weekend left if you want to do that shoot. And I was like, fuck, this is a pretty good opportunity to pass up on. So I sort of just like wrangled what I had together and like shaped it all up and called in some friends and just took their measurements and stayed up all night, sort of two or three nights to just create whatever I could finish. And I had the Harry and the logo sort of sitting around and I just sort of slapped that on 
all the garments that I had made. And then we just went to shoot. And I, I remember it was such like a, a frenzy because we could only have the models down herself and myself. And I sort of hadn't slept and then was trying to tailor the clothes to the models in the morning. I'm trying to direct this shoot. I had no idea what I was doing, trying to even style what clothes they brought. I had like no idea, you know, running around like half sewing, half sort of steaming the clothes. Um, and thank God that I took the opportunity up and like, she was so lovely and edited the photos and everything. And that sort of was the catalyst for Harry becoming what it was. But in that frenzy, like I mentioned, that's when I was getting these deluded thoughts that here's my, my big break where really it was just like the small sort of Kindle to get the fire started. But um, that's sort of the genesis of it, like 12 months ago, really. And now we're about to shoot our, well, hopefully with whenever we can, the sort of spring spring summer collection which is like the sort of biggest collection I've done and luckily um all the money sort of finally getting funded through the previous drops where I've sort of just been like sinking cash sinking cash making bigger purchases so it's kind of nice to get to this point and sort of see a bit of a smoother trajectory of where we could go and how we can manage it where before it was like fucking I have no idea what I'm doing changing direction all the time changing my color schemes changing my tone of voice, like all this sort of marketing shit in my head that I kind of had to unlearn a little bit and just start creating. Yeah. I, you know what the funny thing is, the reason I mentioned the 12 month mark is because if we had not said 12 months before this, anyone listening would have thought that it this has been around for so much longer. And it's a really important point to make in your story that, and I, I know we'll touch on it as we dive deeper into it, but all of clearly the other things that you've done throughout your life have gotten you to a point where now that you started Harry 12 months ago, you've been able to get it to the point it is now. Because if you look at your brand, your website, your um, results, following the community you've been able to cultivate in this time, it's huge, you know, for 12 yeah. months, that is huge. The fact that you're saying now like, oh, it's exciting that in this round I can start seeing where things are going and the financial side of things like seeming more viable and all that, like for a 12 month period, like that's massive. And do you get to celebrate that part for yourself or is it still like you're, you're already at the point of like, oh yeah, we're here, whatever. Like, yeah, I'm trying to sort of look back and celebrate the wins a little bit. And thanks very much for saying that. I really appreciate it. I'm trying to sort of look back and celebrate the wins. Um, I'm feeling pretty sort of proud of my accomplishments sort of once I wrote them all up, which is sort of how we got in cahoots for exactly. that LinkedIn post, um, which is nice. Um, and I sort of got a, a sort of reliable group of people around me who are super helpful and super supportive and lean in where they can. So that's sort of the bigger win for me is sort of knowing I have the support, like the followers and stuff um, and all the, the sort of people within my community I'm super, super grateful they're here. But what was sort of the most critical turning point was just building that sort of inner circle that's been able to support me um, and sort of seeing them happy with how it's going. And then when they get involved, feeling like they're having a really great time, that's when I sort of feel like we're super, super successful. But of course, you know, it's still, we've still got a long way to go, but I, I might sort of jump back and touch on the sort of many hats I wore before getting here since you sort of flagged that one. Um, it's definitely not a sort of position that I always thought I would be in, which is always nice when you reflect back. But, you know, if I jumped back into my child's body like 12 years ago and I thought I would be doing this, I would just, I would have no idea. Like I wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. It would just be like such a shock to my system that this is sort of where I would end up. 
But um, I sort of moved to Melbourne probably a bit early, sort of, I mean, 18, but I moved up from Bendigo and went straight, had no idea what I really wanted to do at school, did well at school, but just went straight into uni, just wanted to move up to Melbourne. At that time I was doing um, cosplaying, which is where I picked up all these sort of skills, like the sewing skills and the sort of just creative skills. And for um, those that don't know what cosplay is, can you just give it yeah, a little Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of... Um, people who create or dress up as like anime manga video game characters it sort of pops off like way harder now sort of what you see at like comic-con sort of people walk around the city just as star wars characters i sort of got into that when i was like 16 and i came up to like a comic-con convention and saw these people dressed up and was like what the fuck like i had no idea coming from this like country town i didn't have like the internet at that stage i think and um I saw it straight away and thought, I want to do what they're doing. I didn't care so much about like the dressing up, but I wanted to make things like so straight away. I was like, I want to be making things. And I remember buying this like dog shit little $40 sewing machine for spotlight that was useless. Like it couldn't achieve anything. And like trying to make things just with like the cheapest material I could as like a 16 year old. And then that kind of grew and grew and grew. And at that time, like, God, I wouldn't even say I was on Instagram at that point point from like I don't even know if that was really happening back then it was all on like DeviantArt and like these um blog forums you know where you had to have like an avatar and you didn't really know who you were talking to and I would start like posting like all these photos in here and meeting all these people in Melbourne and that kind of grew and grew and grew so when I moved to Melbourne I wanted to be with that community um and I just took a um I took a scholarship at um Swinburne University and then just didn't attend any school and got like kicked out of uni but expelled from the course and banned from Simba for eight years. And then, which was a bit of a, a bit of a shock, particularly when you haven't really had like a big, that felt like a really big fail at the time. Um, so then I just kept doing the cosplay piece. I tried to go back to uni once or twice. I tried to do animation and web design and dropped out of that. And then the cosplay industry was sort of starting to grow and there was opportunity for certain cosplayers to go overseas. So I started getting invited overseas and they were taking us to Korea, Malaysia, um, Singapore a lot. And I was over there. It was such a weird experience because I had, I had no friends in Melbourne outside of this cosplay scene. I didn't have any family or network. But then I was like slaving over these costumes all night and then flying out to Malaysia for a weekend and signing photos of myself to teenagers in a Westfield. Like it was such this like polar, polar duality of character that I was living. Um, so I did that until I was about 20 and then... Like I said, I didn't, I wasn't working here. I was making money off that and just doing medical trials. So I was living like a really chaotic kind of evil life. And I was living with a good friend of mine. Well, rather she was sleeping in, on the floor of my studio. I was sleeping in a single bed and she was sleeping on the floor of my studio. And um, I, I wasn't paying any bills. I was just completely reckless. I was in debt. Um, I obviously been expelled from university. Um, I didn't want to tell my mom, obviously, that I was like in this kind of position and she, you know, there was obviously she had her own sort of house of cards to play with as well. So I didn't want to sort of put my problems back on her. And I remember going to Malaysia for like a Halloween event in like 2016 or something, maybe earlier 2014. And then like coming back and I had been evicted from my studio because I hadn't been paying any rent. So that was like a bit of a shock, you know, like, and you kind of feel like that doesn't really happen to people in Australia. At least it didn't happen in like that echo chamber I was in. Of course, of course it actually does happen. That was a stupid thing to say, but um, 
So suddenly we were kicked out, like me and my friend who was sort of living with me for personal reasons as well. And we pulled in all these favors from friends and we were just like sleeping on the floor in people's houses for like the next probably six months, which was quite a fun time to get to see how other people lived. I remember staying with this like fantastic Greek family for like five months and loving it and having the best time. But um, I had to, I packed up all of my stuff, all my sewing machines, everything. And um just started working and doing like a dishy job, like 60 hours a week. And I would work for like weeks and weeks to save up enough money for me and my friend to rent a place. We rented this house out in Burwood, this like dog shit little house with no window above a shop. And I put down the money, but then we had no furniture. So even when we moved into that house, we had no furniture in the house for ages. And we were just, you know, doing what a lot of young people do that doesn't really get talked about. You just steal from Coles, you're drinking, like you're doing drugs, you're partying, you got no money. You're just like fucking around with no goal or ambition. Um, saying that, like I was still having quite a good time because I was in like the prime of my adolescence and this, at least we had a job at that point. The stress hadn't kind of rattled me as much. Like now when I think back, um, I, I wouldn't use words as like severe as like traumatic, but there's a lot of like, there's some grief there of like missed opportunity. And, you know, there was like some embarrassment and stuff when it came to sort of meeting other people from previous circles of my life. Like I don't have any sort of connections in that cause like community anymore. I don't think any of them probably know where I went as well. I just like deleted the page and picked up this dishy job and off I went. And then eventually I sort of moved on up in the kitchen and met like some new people there and started living with sort of different people. And eventually thought I'd go back to uni um, quite late. Like I probably went back when I was 25, not late, but you know, a little bit later than most. And I went back to do finance and economics for fuck knows what reason, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure a lot of people sort of think that as well like, oh, I'm moderately intelligent I'll just do something that maybe makes money not knowing that there's like no jobs in economics and finance is like I think an awful place to work in hindsight now um I went back to Deakin University and first semester back past one unit and I remember thinking same. honestly same my first semester at Deakin same <laughs> yeah I know it's crazy but even still like I remember like looking in like the portal like that blackboard portal and seeing like this little bar move across by like one sort of increment and thinking you can do it you can do it you know that like that one I was subject the- gave you hope <laughs> Exactly. It gave me hope because I was just at the point as well where I was like, maybe uni's not for me. Like maybe it's, it's just never going to happen. And um, I remember seeing that, thank fuck, yeah, I could do one unit. And even still, I struggled sort of for the next year. And then um, this opportunity came up to go overseas to Japan um, and it was sort of paid for or subsidised like pretty significantly. And I was like, well, I haven't been overseas in ages. I have no money. I've been like slaving for years. Uh, I'm just going to take this. Uni's not right for me. I'm going to try and apply and go. I'm going to take this free holiday and then I'm going to fuck off. Thanks very much, Deacon. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and then um, I went over there and met just the most like fantastic sort of group of people, including your sister as well, small world, we've realised. <laughs> um, and when I came back to uni, they sort of, it sort of really changed my perspective on how to network at school, like how to ask for help, which is a big one as well. Like I was sort of just trying to rough, this all out by myself like ask for help work of these other people and then all those people have become long-time friends and then sort of bang I went into a grad job after sort of largely with the help of one of those individuals as well um and then I remember sort of getting to that um that grad like that point where you're applying for these grad jobs and I, I think you've probably gone through the process as well where it's just like soul destroying you know you're you're putting in like hours and hours 
of just like dumb shit that who cares about, you know, like there's like the people in HR don't care what you actually think. They just want you to complete this application, fill out this word count and then have like a really handsome CV. And you, you do this like 15, 16 times and you do these psychometric testing, which are like impossible, you know, like you'd, you'd sit down with like the smartest friends, you know, and you think you smash it. And then you're at like the far left of the bell curve and you're like, okay, like I'm missing something here. And like, I remember even one for L'Oreal, there was like a video interview and um, I opened up the camera and it's one of those ones, you know, where you, you just have to record your like the prompt. And I opened it up and just like saw myself staring at myself with nothing to do. And then just closed the laptop and walked off. Like it was just this like awful, awful sort of period. Um, and then I remember getting the job at Coles um, in marketing and being like so emotional that I got this job. And now I'm not going to be like stealing. I'm not going to be like working 60 hours in kitchens anymore and working till 3am and coming home and just like smelling like grease and then like waking up and doing it again and like missing out on these opportunities because you're working like Friday, Saturday nights um, and being like so upset that I've done it. And like, I have this money now and this like salary job that I'll be able to sustain myself forever. Um, which is like, you know, for, that's everything for a lot of people, particularly after a decade, like it was probably almost eight years of living like that at that point. Um, and then, yeah, sort of coming back to sort of the millennial crisis, getting soon into that job and then realising that it's not right for me still. And you sort of could feel it in your gut. And I wasn't sure if maybe it was just me adjusting to like corporate living and corporate life after like living this lifestyle for so long or if maybe the job was the wrong fit for me, or maybe, you know, in a different field of marketing, I would, I would be comfortable and be like successful there. But then you sort of realize that it's like something intrinsic in yourself that it's just not right for me. Mm. And that's okay. But it took a really, really long time to sort of understand that that's okay. And I really put on my brave face and I looked at people, you know, to the left and right of me who started for the grad program as well, who are killing it and loving it. And, you know, I got along so well with them, but I just, I couldn't, feel like I was doing well in my job I didn't feel happy going to work and then you just start like really spiraling and spiraling and spiraling Um, and it's kind of hard to tell that to people because you say you know I got this job and I'm not happy and some like you know I remember one time at work a girl said to me but um, you should be grateful because you took this opportunity from someone else and I said to her no this was my opportunity Mm. I were yeah I I was super annoyed at her I I was probably like a lot less kind than what I'm about to say but I remember (laughs) saying like you know I this was my opportunity and I took it and I I worked hard to get it and I don't like it anymore and that's actually fine so don't like shove your views on me and it's even you know among our peers sometimes it's really hard to like communicate that you're not happy with your job or you're not happy with something in your lifestyle because people sometimes do throw that, have some perspective or have, I don't know, be grateful, but it's it's a super hard one to sort of come to terms with. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, yeah, I, I was sort of in that job for three years and then ultimately left on a bit of a bad note um, after a bit of sort of, I would say, bullying and harassment and sort of getting pushed out of the business, which is always awesome when you're a young professional with you're uncertain of yourself, but that's sort of how some businesses treat certain people. Most, I would say most, which is the scary part, right? Yeah, exactly. I remember getting called labels like whistleblower or, um, and all, you know, all I'm doing is speaking up for myself, but does that make me a whistleblower in corporate Australia in 2021? I guess it does. Speaking up about my mental health and the other, my teammates' mental health as well when someone super senior shits on someone else. Mm. But it seems like, yeah, it's more common than, 
probably most realized, particularly in that younger bracket. Um, but yeah, so sort of, uh, you know, when I came to that decision that I really wasn't happy and I had to do something about it, it, it was already at a point where it was really impacting my life. I wasn't happy. My mental health was in the gutters. It was sort of ruining my, my relationships with sort of like my significant other, some friends, some families on the weekend, just like burning out with nothing to do. And that's sort of when I started picking up doing those little paintings and drawings again. And it was sort of only until a little further down that hairy journey where I sort of started to find a bit of solace in a self that I had sort of lost and didn't realise I had lost just in that like creative space and having something to do and think about and problem solve in a world that was at my pace with the sort of the boundaries that I set and like something that I'm really comfortable doing. It was sort of like rediscovering a bit of an old shelter. Mm. So I was able to sort of move into that shelter and then I sort of started to feel like myself which probably really helped um, to empower me with those difficult conversations near the later half of my career at Coles where I was facing sort of those difficult stakeholders that I actually, if I hadn't have found something like Harry, I probably would have really crumbled underneath it. Yeah. And this, and, and this, I, I guess this is the part that I, I really um, not like about your story, but it's so real because um, I say all the time, like I, the one thing I fucking hate with the passion is those people and that content you see online. That's like, just quit your job. Just do it. You hate your job. Just quit. And then the other side of it of you should never quit. You should be grateful for it. And both sides are so ridiculous because again, in the position that you're in, like you just shared, everyone's got that different um, story on how they get to, their particular role, right? And the reality is the majority of us can't just quit, even if we are in toxic environments. But the yeah. one thing we can do is, um, I guess, try and remove ourselves from that, sometimes those torturous environments that we're facing where people are constantly being shut on all the time and doubting themselves and being put, feeling like they're worthless and and all of those things that those environments can do to us. And the one thing I always say to people is like, you don't have two options of quit or not quit. There's that third option of see what else you can explore outside of it just to bring some joy back to your life. Because like you said, the majority of us get into this um, kind of monotonous routine of go to work, come home, cook dinner, sleep. And then on the weekends, party, binge, do whatever we can to ignore that. And during the week, that partying and binging looks like Netflix on the couch and shitty food, right? Or whatever it is. Because now again, and and a lot of people are in that same position of not having the financial literacy skills either, because you've gone from having uh, shitty retail jobs or shitty hospo jobs or whatever and making fuck all to now having a certain amount of money coming in regularly and feeling secure in that and being like, well, like I'm, my life's miserable anywhere else. Where can I get that serotonin hit? You know, massively, massively. It's so, it is, it, it's, it's so scary. And I remember when I first started like having these conversations with people for the millennial crisis, I was like, how do more people not speak about this? Because that's why I said that majority of workplaces are like this, because this story is so common, but people get scared to say something because of like what your colleague said of you need to feel, well, you're lucky. You're lucky that they're even treating yeah. you like a piece of shit, you know? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Which is just awful. And like, I, I can't, you know, I, I can't, thank God I'm not the person who thinks like that at the very least. I'd rather have these demons than be that person at times. But 
Yeah, like exactly. There's not a black and white way to look at it. I think I remember seeing an ad right before I sort of went back to uni and it said, if when you don't want to talk about your job, it's time to talk about your job. And it always really stuck with me. And even then I was just in the kitchens and it's not, it's not time to quit or it's time to reinvent, but if there's something wrong, it's time to talk about it. Whether it's just with a friend or someone who's got nothing to do with it, or you're talking to the, the boss or the man or whoever it is, if it's time, if there's something wrong, you really, really do need to speak up and it doesn't need to be a massive change, but maybe it's like one change. Maybe it's one work from home one day, if you can, maybe it's, you, you need to dedicate a bit of time to do yourself, but like that one change, you know, quickly can become lots and lots of changes, but it's, that's like, like the big scary, the risk and the big scary jump is like, how could I quit my job? And I've worked so hard to be here. I don't want to start again, but maybe like it could boil down to just like working with a different stakeholder if you speak up. So it's, there's a lot of ways to handle it. And I think there's not enough transparency still around sort of mental health in the workplace. Some places are really, really good with it, but in those sort of juggernaut businesses where there's these legacy workers of who've been there for 30 years or in the industry for 30 or 40 years, mental health, mental health still a low priority or a joke in a lot of cases. Totally. And in a lot of those bigger corporates as well, it's like that culture's ingrained and until that generation kind of moves away, like moves out of the business, essentially, like it's so hard to fix. And the other thing I find about the stories I hear from corporates as well, I've never worked in big, big corporates where I don't, I've never had a relationship with the founder or the CEO of a business. Like I'm always in a startup or scale up environment where I've always worked closely. And I think the difference between those environments is you you're forced to have personal relationships with people and you're forced to see your effect or actions on other people. That's why within corporates, like teams can usually be quite tight knit or certain people within teams and toxically they're thrown in here and there. Right. Um, because you get those, relationships, <laughs> you get that communication with them, but when the higher up you go, you're, they're so disconnected from the people beneath that. It's like, Oh, well too bad. Too bad. Darcy had a bad yeah. day. That's life. Yeah. Suck it up. I've had bad yeah. 10 years here. Exactly. <laughs> Even in, um, I've just started a lovely new job. Um, again, through a contact who I met on that Japan trip. So that really that holiday's paying the bills at the moment. But um, I feel like I'm like this corporate psycho at times and I've had to unlearn a lot of really bad habits and even sort of handling a client who we service them rather than at Coles where they'd service us. And they just, you know, failed to attach one email at Coles. Like that was licensed to just blow the fuck up and be an asshole. And that's how you would do it and you would just like hustle and hustle because it was this job of velocity and it, it really it's not that's just how they train you to be it's just fucking selling baked beans and printing catalogs you know like Coles doesn't need a marketing team the stores would yeah. still get sales so um, moving into this new job I've had to sort of sometimes even write emails and then walk away from them and come back to them and change the tone of voice completely. And I know there's that joke going around of removing your exclamation points, but I have to put them back in because sometimes my emails are just like stone cold and I need to sort of change the way I talk to people and unlearn those nasty habits. And I don't want to have those habits, but that's just sort of what I picked up over the last few years. And I don't think it's reflective of me, but you just become a product of your nature the longer you're in those environments. So if you can recognise it, it's time to, to speak up or yeah, make a change because they, they rub off on you and people might perceive you as that once you start adopting those behaviours too. 
Totally. And this is one of the things that we hold so strong at the millennial crisis is two things that you've also mentioned and that I know you value too because of who Harry is as a brand as well is that conversation and community element. They can be so powerful in empowering you to change and to transform, but they can also be so powerful in ingraining very kind of um, ingraining things in you that might not necessarily be you, but because everyone around you has normalized them that you're like, well, that's just how things are. Um, And, and then when you leave those environments, a lot of people then have guilt about who they were as a person in a corporate. Like I've, I've spoken to quite a few millennials who have been in uh, industries like banking, especially uh, that have worked within those industries and hated that person that they were and feel so much guilt about that and can't get past that because that whole environment was just so cutthroat and the things that they did there they're so like ashamed about when you you are a product of your environment you're a product of the community you're surrounded by whether by choice or um by circumstance you know so it is and I and I wonder is that one of the reasons why Harry has the community element to it that you that community has been something that has hold value to you or you just like enjoy creating space with surrounding yourself with creative people or it's a curiosity thing or yeah I suppose there's a few pieces to it and it would be hard to sort of say I haven't retroactively tweaked it like from where it was at the start I think you sort of raised a really really good point of like community can make bad habits and I think particularly in young people in the workplace often your whole life is work you hang out with those people outside of work you talk to them they become like your new best friends often people live with them so sometimes when you're just in these circles you don't have any sort of variety of perspective and it becomes like this really vapid echo chamber so if those bad habits get injected you pick them up so I think that's probably why Harry's been super powerful for myself you know through the podcast that we run we interview people as well and I also try to do a lot of collaborative pieces with other artists is I get to meet all these different people and that kind of brings a breath of fresh air into my other community I also think sort of the key objective behind me trying to build this community is really to remove some of those like gatekeeping tendencies of Melbourne I think Melbourne is a bit of a bubble in the creative scene I imagine a lot of cities face this as well and I don't even think it's the creative scene I think it's just all industries in big cities sort of formulate a bit of a bubble which can be largely dictated by certain people certain tones of voices um, trends uh, and there's a fairly decent amount of gatekeeping which is pretty detrimental to a lot of creative people because like everyone would like to say, they want to just create just for fun. But when you're trying to share it on these social media platforms, you sort of have to open yourself up to a level of scrutiny or at least manage your expectations around what could come from that. So I feel like when there's certain people who block opportunities or only offer opportunities to a select few and saying that that's a lot of those like you absolutely do deserve it and definitely like you know they might be getting a lot of opportunity because they've worked really really hard or they're, they're super vocal as well but there still needs to be versatility and um, a variety and where those opportunities go so I think Harry sort of I'm hoping to open doors to some other young creators to sort of come in um, work with me I think there's a bit of a rare chance for younger people probably to work with someone who's trying to be inviting in that space and also who can probably afford to give them their time and see their ideas come to life 
it's really, really hard to get into this like street fashion in particular without some money behind you. And if you're like a young designer, I would struggle to think where you could actually get it from without being in a full-time job. Um, as well, like it's quite nice to try and amplify the voices of like certain people, like particularly with the podcast, we really, really try to amplify people who have had a hard time getting that kind of amplification, be it Asian actors in Australia who have a big problem with misrepresentation or, you know, certain types of um, music genres where there's a lot of female voices missing. We try and seek that out as well. Be it my platform's not significantly large, but these platforms, like these podcasts and these interviews actually serve more value than just listens and new listeners. You know, when someone searches their name now, that my podcast will appear in the Google listing, which could help them secure a job. Like I know a lot of actors can't get jobs in the US because you need to have sort of records of being a good person and doing good deeds, which is bizarre, but you, you won't get those unless they're publicized. So trying to sort of just give people the ticket to play is sort of what Harry is about. Um, I really want it to be, I don't, I don't want to be Harry. Like Harry isn't me. I don't want it to be like my personal brand per se. And I don't want it to be dictated by what I think is valid or has value or is popular. Even, you know, with the, the articles, often other people write them or with the Harry community podcasts, the, the vision of that would be for me not even to be the host. And I would have the appropriate people come on and talk about the topics that are important to them. With COVID, that's been a little bit difficult, but that's sort of what I'd always had envisioned for that. So I sort of wanted it to be almost like an open source plug and play community which is what I think we're slowly getting there. I'm trying to sort of open up more opportunities. It's a bit difficult with obviously COVID around and trying to manage that by myself, but I'm really trying to sort of open more doors and pull more people in from different areas because ultimately you get a better product. You know, you can go a certain distance by yourself, but as a team, you can go way, way further. So it's quite important to make sure that's known and make sure people know that sort of my inbox is always open. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. And when you do collaborations or when you do uh, approach people, I said, I know you mentioned that a lot of people have approached you, but do you find people will jump and say yes? Or do you find that people hesitate in terms of, I find a lot of creatives, especially those who are actually really brilliant, are very shy or don't want to talk about themselves and stuff like that. I wonder, do you come across a lot of people like that within Yeah, I still get a lot of no's, hard no's, or um, I also get a lot of just no responses, which is super, super interesting. Particularly, there's been a couple of cases where I've gotten, you know, no's early on, and now I'm getting knocks on my door that I'm sort of a bit more popular, I suppose, on social media. Um, Even when that happens, though, of course, I still open the door because I'm not going to pick up bad habits that I sort of came across earlier. I think earlier on, it was a lot harder to find people to collaborate with. Um, It was harder, of course, I didn't get so many sort of inbound opportunities. Um, Nowadays, it's a little bit easier. And I find that like majority will jump on it straight away, or at least want to know a little bit more about what that process looks like. Normally, when I try and collaborate with someone, I still pick up most of the workload in terms of like the rollout. And I kind of want their creative impression or like them sort of leaning in with a certain skill set, but I sort of carry the bulk. So it's not an overwhelming ask. I find that's sort of the better way to get them involved. Because I think it's one thing that people often don't talk about as well is that concept of even if you have a great concept, you still may get no's and it doesn't mean it's not great. It means sometimes that person isn't at a stage where 
they can see that themselves or don't have capacity or a lot of those different things. Like there's so many factors that play into those. Yeah, I actually do see that a fair bit with the podcast, particularly when people think that what they're working on is not interesting. Yes. Yeah, they think like they're, A, they're not interesting or what they're working on is not interesting. And like I normally try and focus or like laser in on the process of like that's sort of the theme of the podcast is like the process of you getting there and like what mm. that tool. And that is always interesting. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be making a brick. I don't know how to do it, but I'm interested to hear. That's why people watch that dumb stuff on TikTok of like springs getting made. Like it's always interesting. So there is a little element of sort of trying to encourage people to to speak up about what it is. And I suppose for them, maybe they do find a bit of value in it and reflection, but I always think it's super, super interesting. So that's probably something, yeah, I agree. Some people are a bit nervous when I ask them, they're like, why are you asking me? Yeah. yeah. Find so, I, I, I think, uh, and maybe you're much similar as well as I'll, I'll talk to anyone. I don't care. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, could, I can do the least interesting thing and it's just like fun. To, so it confuses me a lot of the time. I'm like, what have people been through or like what environments are they in or how much are they sitting in their heads to get to a point where they don't think that the thing they love and are obsessed with so much? Because I think the best part, like the best people to have on my podcast in particular is like the people who are passionate and curious about what they do. Like you said, whether it's a brick and brick design, when you hear someone light up about something they love, like that's the gold, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyone who's passionate about anything is always my favorite. Even at the bar, you find someone who's like really into Doctor Who or like really into just like cricket. I'm happy to hear you talk. Like I could just let you unpack that for ages and ramble away. So I think that's sort of the charm of podcasts as well. And then we get to be that fly in the wall and hear people be passionate. So it's quite nice to sort of get underneath people's skin in a new format. Totally, totally. We're getting towards the end. I wanted to ask a question before we get to the final three questions. And I wonder, what is one thing that you wish somebody who is stuck in that corporate environment right now that can't kind of see that that light at the end of the tunnel who have seen the next the past the next 20 years of their life kind of flash by them and they're like, What what the fuck do I do now? Like this is my life. I'm stuck here. What, what advice would you have to someone like that? I guess Darcy back when he was at Coles. Yeah, I would say speak to someone without looking for a solution. You don't need a solution, but you should tell someone else how you feel. And even if you're just telling them about a bad day, don't keep it to yourself or don't just sit on it and swallow it. I think you'd probably be surprised that you might find the solution yourself quite quickly. But I would say that that's probably the best place to start. If, and if you can't speak to a friend or a family member or someone at work, you know, make yourself aware of those resources that are available. But I'm sure, you know, a friend will definitely take you up for a coffee and you can just say about like the shit argument you had or I'm interested in looking at new jobs or I'm, I'm just struggling with like getting used to being here. I would just say start talking without getting into solution mode and probably sit in the problem a little bit more and maybe make yourself aware that it is an ambiguous, like an ambi- ambiguous time and you sort of need to sit in that ambiguity a little bit more, but be okay with that. It's going to take a bit of time. You're not going to need time, like a solution tomorrow and it's not going to be fine tomorrow. But yeah, I would just say start talking and stop thinking about the solution for a little bit. I love that. That's a, I think also it, it works for people that make 
when sometimes we make impulse decisions, if I'm just going to quit today, I'm done with this place and stuff like that. Not thinking about that solution is, is so important and just thinking like, well, what is actually going wrong right here? Because when we do make those impulse decisions, we think that that next new job is going to solve all our problems and life's going to be sunshine and roses then. And you quickly realize you're in the same situation again under a new roof. Yeah. You just swapped your problem for the same problem with a different skin. So yeah, Yeah. I definitely think just start, start rambling, even just start yelling over a beer. It's probably a great place to start. Totally. I love that. Great advice. Now we are getting towards the end and I have three questions that I ask my guests at the end of each podcast. They are a little bit trickier than the first three. So don't worry. We'll be a little bit with these ones. Uh, The first question I have for you is what is the first small step you took to get to where you are right now? The first small step I took to get me to where I am right now would probably have to be uh, in terms of mindset it was probably start doing art again I picked up I went to China I went to Shanghai and there was like really cheap art supplies and I hadn't done art in a really really long time and um, I picked up all these supplies for cheap and I later that day just drew the skyline from the hotel and put it on Instagram and it was really really well received and then that sort of was the catalyst for me starting to do all these drawings again, which moved into the fabric space. And it it wasn't so much the just drawing or, you know, like buying that stuff, but it really was like, you used to like doing that. Like, why don't you pick it up? So that that's probably the small step I made that has now snowballed into this um, anxiety inducing mess that I can't get out of. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And a quick one on that, because I think a lot of people listening, especially will have something that, they used to find joy in or whatever what what made you lose it was it life that just got complicated and you were just trying to keep up with the everyday that made you lose touch of that art because I think one thing people forget about as well about hobbies and passions is just like everything else they take effort to do and to keep up with right you have to make time for them like you have to make time for everything else so was that what was why you lost it for a bit I think it was probably like financial problems. Um, When I like was kicked out of my home, I was like probably $10,000 in debt. Mm. Um, And then to then have to start working to find like rent to move into a new place and everything that comes with that, um, you sort of feel like I can't do the hobby at the scale I used to, therefore I should stop. Where in hindsight, I would give myself the advice, okay, maybe you can't do that anymore, but there's no reason you can't you couldn't have done knitting or you couldn't have kept drawing. I just went, no, nah, I'm in this problem now. I got to fucking get out of it. I got no time for me really. Mm. I only had time for the problem. So that's probably where I lost touch in that. So I would definitely sort of advise anyone if you're, if you're feeling like you're losing touch of a hobby or an old shelter, maybe you should just try and change it a little bit. But came, came back to what we said before, where it's not black and white, just make that one little change. So totally. Totally. Yeah, that, that's that's great. And it's so funny how we do that as people. It's like, well, if I can't do it at the capacity I was doing it before, I'm just going to stop it all together. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah, I'm going to fucking throw it in the bin. Exactly. Not worth my time. Yeah. The next question I have for you is, uh, what is your biggest millennial crisis right now? And I define a millennial crisis as a privilege problem that consciously or subconsciously affects your mental health or well-being. I don't want to work. 
I don't want to have a job. I want to, um, even on Harry, I want to keep creating. I want to make one of everything. And I want some some other magic something to just do the rest. You know, I would love to just not be working, not be on the clock, um, which is not sustainable. I love my new job. Isn't too. it though? Well, it <laughs> should be. These should days? Be. You can yeah. make something. <laughs> I know. I think, you know, blue sky thinking um, would get a bit of some, like a, a, some resource and help and some more team members in Harry and then potentially leave my other job. If any of them are listening, I love the job. It's not for a long time. Don't worry. But um. I would love to just like not actually have to work or like have billable time or like mm-hmm. actually like I would love to just be able to create and have Harry and it just keeps going by itself without having to do like all these grueling things like put my invoices in an Excel spreadsheet and like respond to emails on time. So that's probably my privileged problem to I even have a job during COVID to have multiple opportunities at the moment and for some reason don't want to face into either of them. So I think that's probably a very millennial crisis at the moment that's perfect and I think I think the best parts about acknowledging like millennial crises as well is that like a lot of us like had grew up having this dream of like some kind of career thing or some kind of fantasy of what life should be and stuff like that and if you could dream about like those kinds of things what's the and try and work towards them like what's the craziness in wanting to work towards not working or just doing the good parts that you like of your job, you know, like whether, yeah. you know, you were working to like build up those hours really because the higher you rank, the more hours you you put on or whatever. Um, the whole concept should be like the higher I go, the less I've got to do and the more I can do more of what I love, right? Yeah, that's what you'd sort of, that, that would be the ideal system. But right. definitely, yeah, I think all dreams are probably on a bit of a bell curve in terms oh, totally. of complexity. So <laughs> Totally, totally. We like to dream big here. We like to dream big here. And the final question I have for you is what is one thing you are still curious about or want to explore? I really really like cooking I've always wanted to have my own cooking show I I think I would struggle to loop it back into Harry but I really love like the creativity you can have with food and I kind of love like the immediacy of it and that it kind of just exists and that it doesn't exist and I think everything about it is like there's such so much more value that gets put into cooking that probably like it can be put into textile construction and like a clothing brand, but like in, in food, you can really value every ingredient that goes in in a different way. And I really, really like that. Um, is that something I, you know, future state Darcy would definitely be looking at probably like what's the next for Harry um, is probably getting a full-time teammate is what I'm really, really curious about doing and what capacity that could be. But I think it would be great for for me to have someone else on for the business and the community, but also I really love to maybe, I suppose, like nurture and mentor someone um, through the business. That's probably something I feel like I'm at a mature enough level to try and do. Um, so that's probably with on on the cards. Amazing. I love that. Uh, now we've, we've spoken a lot. I think this has been a really common theme throughout um, your story about picking up, picking up old things that you used to love and not losing those things. And I know you've got a really awesome challenge to set for everyone this week. So what, what challenge would you like everyone to get stuck into this week? All right, listeners, the challenge for this week is to find something in your home. You don't even need to go out that you used to really love and pick it up for at least an hour. 
whether it's picking up an old book you used to love, an old record, the favourite uh, pack of crayons that you find in the drawer, anything that you used to love, go out and do it and I bet you'll feel immediately better and I'll put a smile on your face and I reckon you'll feel like a real winner. So I think it's worth the time to find find anything in your house that you love. I love that. A majority of us are in lockdown in some capacity or not. So um, I think or well, things aren't as amazing as they they were life's not filled with all the chaos so you've got an hour in your week that you can dedicate to yourself essentially right like what you said not the art just to take care of you in yeah. that way. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Darcy, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And for people who want to check out Harry, it's Harry Originals on Instagram and TikTok you're on now as well, right? Yeah, brand new TikTok. Yeah. Come see me there. Amazing. And I will share all of the links there as well. And be sure to check out his stuff and, and look at all the stuff because it is, it's, it's really awesome. And I think anyone that's in the millennial crisis community will really enjoy um, what you're building there as well. Cause there are a lot of creatives and yeah, I think what you're building is brilliant and you should be so proud of what you've done in this past year. Cause it's, it is, it's unreal. And you wouldn't guess that it's only been a year that you've been doing this. So congratulations on that. Thanks very much. And thanks um, for having me on the show. It's been an awesome opportunity and I love what you're doing and hopefully I'll be poking around the millennial crisis a little more in the future. So totally. keep up the good work. It's been heaps and heaps of fun. Thank you.